Welcome back to Cinema Girl. We're drinking Red Bull this week, so you better get a Four Wild Red and Jack got cashews! <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I got to the end and I thought, what have I been watching? You know, what have I been watching? If they get an Oscar, they get a fat paycheck. Oh, that's like their life, hey. Like that's their life, yeah. Set. They get, get to, on every DVD case. Sometimes in their contract, if you, if you win an Oscar, I know that Chloe for Grace... The film. For the film. you get another paycheck. I know that Chloe oh, Grace Moretz had a contract where she was going to get paid a lot if she won an Oscar for Hugo. So I think it's like kind of in their, in, in their interests. Yeah, I think so. But we're not talking about Oscars today. We're talking about Vox Lux because Lily is so excited. She's got her mummy juice with her. And she's feeling <laughs> like a mummy talking about it. We're not even going to talk about our weeks first. We're just going to go straight to Vox Lux. Or well, we, we kind of talked about your week and then oh, sorry, yeah, and the, keep going. Where are you, but also, we, but we want to ask, where are you coming from? Because we just talked about yeah, where Lily I'm and I coming came. from a Red Bull. I'm coming from a migraine. And where are you coming from, Jack? I'm coming from work where I just looked at a bunch of links all day and got madly obsessed with The Matrix again. Since, like, obviously knowing that it's a trans text and a queer text, but then really deeply knowing it this week. Jack's foreshadowing the whole episode because in this episode we're going to be talking about Jack's links. That's a new segment mm-hmm. that we're introducing where every episode Lily and I are going to pick our favourite links that Jack has sent us throughout the week and we're going to talk about them. Jack famously sends a lot of links. and or I also thought that it was like, what's this link? I didn't click on it. Oh, and that too as well, yeah. We'll also <laughs> click on the links. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll explore the links. And Jack's also mentioned how The Matrix is a secret trans narrative and one of my links has something to do with that. Well, I'm so excited to talk about Vox Lux with you guys because mm. we all saw it at very different times. Andre, uh-huh. you saw it famously in Rotterdam. Mm. I saw it at this sexy little screening under the State Theatre in this gorgeous little room with Margaret Pomeranz there. That screening room is gorgeous. And Lily, you saw it last night on its debut. On its first in night Cinema out. 3, which is my favourite Dendi cinema. Describe it for us. So much better than 7. It actually is pointing in a different direction that no other cinemas in the theatre points. It's like northwest, north-south. Yeah, it's pointing away. It's pointing, it's pointing down away. down King Street. Yeah, uh, yeah, down King Street. Yeah. That's the way. And it has a very specific number of seats, which two, no, no other cinema has. It's the perfect size. Quite high ceiling? It's a big screen, but yeah. not too many seats. It's fucking amazing how do you feel about cinema yeah. 10 because i think that's my other one we saw strangers 2 in is my other favorite one where it's oh. kind of like wide mm. and should, right at the back those those are the ones they're, mm. they're hot they're the hot ones yeah i actually find that the bigger ones at dendy don't do it for me and sometimes i kind of mm. feel like i wish that i could go to dendy and see a huge blockbuster but then when i do migraine city migraine city bitch, migraine city, bitch. Migraine city. you go first because it's freshest in your memory Okay, so... Do we have to describe what Vox Lux is to I'm people? I'm just going to go through it, because I haven't really talked about it. I've really tried to, like, save it. And I wanted to message you guys afterwards and be like, oh, my fucking God. This is possibly my new favorite movie. <laughs> oh, my God, you're blushing. Well, you guys just made me. I'm going to sound like such a wanker. Okay, firstly, there are such real scenes that I've connected to so deeply. Okay, this is what I'm thinking. This movie felt like taking ecstasy where like every emotion is so bright and clear and you feel it in such a real way, whether it's like dark or sad or like melancholy or just like super, super exciting. Everything is kind of like, oh my God, this is exactly how it feels. Um, so... Basically, it opens with a school shooting, 
which I remember you telling me, but I was not prepared for it because that is always the most upsetting thing to ever see. And as I was watching it, I was like, oh my God, I'm so fucking lucky to be alive. I am just waiting for the day that they say Ballard High School has a school shooting. I'm just waiting for that day. I just expect it, which what, is so sad. What's your relationship to school shootings, if you don't mind me asking? Have you ever been close to one? Has your school ever had... There was a drive-by in like 01, and there's a memorial there's like a plaque for the girl that was killed so someone drove past spring breaker style and like shot up the school from the car yeah just shot a person oh my god like uh, a little girl n- a, a, a teenager dead or yeah was it oh, another teenager uh, i think so at your school uh-huh oh my god but gosh. it was in like 2001 Still there's a memorial though. plaque i wish i knew her name i mean just like being from you have connections to people who have are associated with people who have either been killed or know the person that are conducting a mass shooting it's just like a really real thing man you must have such a real connection to I, american school shootings i mean i think everyone does i feel like everyone in like America it's super especially. super fucking real it happens all it's all the time so it's just i feel like that's like the first film that we've ever seen it like not in like a documentary style or something that's like that it's like it is the catalyst for the entire character this is what a character this is what can happen to someone who's been in a shooting and this is how it just shapes their entire life. And their entire life, no one will ever understand them. No matter how far they go or how far they get, they're going to be so isolated from the world because they've experienced the most horrific thing at such a young age. And then it goes to scenes where she's like playing piano with her sister in bed. And it's like, I've never seen someone portray what it feels like writing music so accurately at that age. Like it's the most freeing feeling. And that she's doing it from a hospital bed is so beautiful and then oh and then the the scenes that where it's like she like sings at the funeral and that's nuts that is so nuts that's such a great song and then from there on like just all of these stylistic choices it's I don't want to sound like a nerd but it's like watching like a Kubrick film like that's like how rewarding it is when it does like those phantom shots Mm -hmm. you know what I'm talking about where it's just like the camera moving Mm -hmm. is that a did Kubrick fine like did he do that was he the first person to do that it's definitely one of his things it's definitely in his toolkit like, uh, i think i remember um, i know the part that you're referring to the opening sequence is like um a lot of traveling shots and this is one part where you see a car you, you see a lot of cars going from oh, one location emer- to another with the emergency cr- with the mm. yeah the ambulance but then it's when she's going through the tunnel yeah, yeah and yeah, all yeah. this but so they use it a lot that style yeah that's actually and yeah that really that's for me. That really speaks to Solaris, the Tarkovsky mm. film, when mm-hmm. there's the, and then that also ties into um, we're talking about Anime Kirk's video piece where she just collected a bunch of phantom shots from sci-fi movies and made in a tunnels. montage and in tunnels and made a montage out of it. So that's definitely a stylistic choice that must come from that, I guess, from like sci-fi and Kubrick in the seventies. Yeah, it definitely did feel a bit seventies at points. Mm. I think the whole thing feels seventies. It was shot on Kodak shot film, and it feels like. It feels like he's comparing the feeling of like the end of the 60s mm, to yeah. the end of the 90s yeah. or something. There's like something about that <sighs> and how that changes, like how the style changes when it jumps to Natalie Portman. Mm. There's like a complete shift in style. Yeah. And mm. it starts out with like, I don't know if you remember, but the first shots of the film are like just shots of like lamps mm. and and scenery. Oh, mm. yeah. It, the, the first shots of the film are really odd like quite mysterious and super dark and Mm. very like nicholas rogue Uh like that whole start bit is a bit like it's very poetic Mm. and very impressionistic and like feels a bit like virgin suicides or 
you know, the references are different to the second half. And the second half is very Cassavetes meets, like, Kubrick. Like, it's very brutal, but, well, like... I'm, I'm really glad that you said impressionistic unwieldy. because I watching the film made me realise that I think, I'm, I think Vox Lux, to me, is one of the first impressionistic dramas uh, or one of the few that you see or one that we haven't seen in a very, very long time. For ages. Because when you watch things like a typical melodrama, you're really understanding where the action and where the, um, the rituals are coming from. Mm. But with this one, there's really no hand-holding for mm. what's happening on screen. I think that's even more unnerving considering that it's so dramatic and so over-the-top and emotional. Yeah, he's way more focused, I think, in each moment of making sure that that moment is really interesting mm-hmm. rather than, yeah. I don't know, I feel like the style just comes from how each moment can be can pop. Like you were saying with Ecstasy, like every scene feels so visually itself like even at the end where she's okay i'm really sorry if you haven't seen it but yeah just go see it but yeah whatever like i feel like just we'll do a spoiler warning and be like you just have to skip forward like five minutes yeah. or something like that well but the end when there's like 15 minutes of her performing <gasps> and it just never ends i know <laughs> i was like okay it's gonna be one song and then it's Every single song. Her catalog. Oh, that was so good. It's so good. And there's no yeah. drama until right at the end. Like there's no um like you're trying to you're trying to read into her aesthetic. Mm, and you're trying to It was to, hard to figure out as well. Like if she was a real pop star, I don't know who she would be. She's kind of a bit sell like to Katy Perry meets yeah. like I thought she was way more Lord, to be honest. I felt like she was Lord yeah, meets yeah, Sia, yeah. making euphoric-sounding songs that are lyrically super dark and gothic, mm. like mm. disturbing songs and disturbing lyrics, but wrapped up as these like almost like ABBA-esque kind of mm. you know frilly things. And it's the first time I think I've seen like that era contextualized. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think, especially after watching A Star Is Born, mm. that film doesn't contextualize the feeling of the 21st century in any way. No, it doesn't. It really doesn't feel relevant at all. No. Other than it just being like a really melodramatic, enjoyable film yeah. for a lot of people, yeah. regardless of how you feel about it. Yeah. But this film feels like it really is making an attempt to sum up the anxieties, mm. the sort of feelings, the aesthetics of this new mum. I'm sorry if you hear this, but like there's that scene in the diner. I, I like, know, it's so insane. I know. This mm. reminds me of conversations I've had with my own mum. I know. Like it's so on point. I know. I couldn't really believe it. I know. And just the way she was acting, I was like, I don't know if this reminds me of my mom or myself. The way that she, like, had all this energy that just needed to be released, but, like, no one would let her. Uh, Yeah. Did you guys find it still, though, despite what you guys have said, that even in A Star Is Born and Vox Lux, they're two pop stars that kind of couldn't really exist in the real world, but seem so drawn from real experience? Here are my, like, my deep points. Ali in A Star Is Born just seems like it's such a unrealistic pop star. Like, mm. who would who would bank that? Mm. Yeah. That's you don't see pop stars like that these days. No one could make that much money and have that much success of mm. that kind of image. Yeah. And same with uh, Natalie Portman in Box mm. Lux. I kind of feel like for someone to be you know not in their like early twenties or their tweens, uh, you know, still having the kind of success that she's exhibiting to me just seemed like a thing. I or think is that the just genius something... of the film is that you don't see her career. Yeah, and they yeah. also explain it in such a good way. Like she became globally famous overnight because of the song that she sang at a cath- the most cathartic moment for the country. Can we play the song for a second? Yeah, I'd love to. Because it's actually good, I think. Please, I will follow 
I find EKG like so so addictive that song that she sings and also I don't know part, any of, other songs, I'm part sorry. of the genius of Vox Lux is the fact that because you don't see her career and because you're aware you're watching a film like In A Star Is Born it, you're supposed to like suspend your disbelief believe that what you're seeing is like in the moment and mm. like ephemeral Vox Lux never ever pretends that she's a real thing mm. like it, it's always about mm. the topics it's talking about but my and problem so with the music at the end I think she is just singing a bunch of pop songs and you're supposed to be, could she be a pop star? Like, is this a real pop star? It's really bad because he shifts between 35 millimeter film and Super Bowl films. And then he shoots real audiences. Like those yeah. crowds weren't extras. Yeah. They were real crowds. He won't say, they won't say what like, like concerts they were at, uh-huh. but they were real pop fans. Like wow. Gaga mm. or like Katy Perry or whoever. But, but that's, that to me is where the film kind of crumbles because I, it's just an instinct and such a, a habit of me to watch these films and to just immediately relate them to real life people because I feel like they're so drawn from real experience. I mean, I know that you didn't really have this experience, but I definitely came out of Oxlax just completely believing that Sia is... Sia's fingerprints are all over the film and mm. that the whole film was actually just a film stuck inside a Sia song that is waiting to be released and uh, I don't know and I feel like uh, tell your titanium like analogy like, yeah basically I mean you listen to titanium and the lyrics are the lyrics to Vox Lux like mm. it's all about someone surviving gun wounds uh, in, re- in like really specific detail maybe titanium isn't actually like a, a soundtrack to Vox Lux but for me, cool. for me, Sia was just is, is Sia's autobiography is such a huge part of the film and I think what I think is so interesting about Vox Lux is that because Sia's persona is so mysterious and in the shadows because she's trying to do the whole wearing a mask thing and she's mm. trying to shroud her personality and her identity, mm. Vox Lux is just another way for her to performatively totally. be herself because mm-hmm. she doesn't want to have to explain that, yeah, she's been through trauma. So instead she's written this, basically she's produced and written these songs for this movie and that's just another facet of Sia's personality that no one's tapping into. I'm confused as to how this, like, you said that this is how the film crumbles for you, but then... Because like you said, I think the film is assuming that these people are just artificial constructs, but to me they're so obviously drawn from real people and I can't help but watch the film and think that's Sia, that's what's happening. Yeah, but I don't feel that... I guess maybe there's a flaw because... I don't know. I find that because Sia writes songs for other artists, the film's perfect in that way. But that, but that's why it's it's even more pinpointedly Sia. Like, and then it's also cool because the whole film just seems like a bunch of people having a lot of fun. Like it really does feel like 
Sia's having a lot of fun writing these songs. Natalie Portman's having a lot of fun playing this character. Mm-hmm. Rafferty's having a lot of fun, like, being this child actress. Stacey Martin is, like, having a great time being, like, the wounded sister. Jude Law is, like, killing it. Oh, Jude like, Law is just excellent. I would never celebrate Jennifer, a man, but Jude Law is so perfect in this Jennifer movie. Jennifer Eel as well, the, like, the manager. Mm, like, everyone in it is, like, yeah. tearing up every scene they're in. Yeah, yeah. It feels like Willem Dafoe reading about I all know. of the narration mm. about how she's doing deals with the devil, like... Do you mind if we play a game? Can we try and that think... Was, I don't was... care if she's a real pop star. I just love that this movie exists. Can we play a game trying to figure out which pop star is reflected in the film? Because I feel like everyone... You're saying Katy Perry is I what comes through, but for me, it's not Katy so Perry many. at all. I, I, you go. I, I thought it was Sia as well. I think it's just a character that Sia is going to relate to. Like, I don't think this person is... I don't think the film was trying to emulate an actual pop star that exists. If it was to be one like Ariana Grande's a good choice because of what she experienced with the shooting at her concert. But then at the same time, Sia probably fears that she would be that character in time because she doesn't really tour anymore. And if she did, she would probably feel like she would still be abusing drugs and alcohol, not wanting to be on stage, like, you know, all these Mm -hmm. things. But they're just things that pop stars Mm. suffer. It's such a fucked up world. I was also thinking of Beyonce for some reason when they were like in the van going to the concert and she's like, pull over, pull over, pull over. And it's like, okay, that's what you have to do. You have to go from a hotel in a weird van with your family, go to this fucked up concert, be told where to go. It's just hellish. No matter who you are, it's hellish. I was just listening to, I listened to two songs about this topic, like accidentally on the way here. One was Lucky by Britney Spears, where it's like, she's so lucky, she's a star, but why, why? You know what I mean? Yeah. And then I listened to this song by Jen Cloa and the whole, it's from her album that she released just after Courtney Barnett got huge. And every song is kind of about how she doesn't go on tour with Courtney Barnett and what that feels like. And she's like, every time asks me, like one of the songs, which is Sensory Memories, which is such a sweet song. She talks about how people ask me why I don't go on tour with you, but the life of a touring muso is like late nights, early mornings, getting into a car, air-conditioned rooms with a view. Was that why musicians are so depressed these days? Because they're not making money off their music and they have to tour so much that they that that's what like drives their music forward. It's just constantly performing and touring in vans and hotels. But it's always and, been that way. Yeah. Like recently, musicians have been like pretty open and... Um, but so is everyone. The culture about, is like more open about mental illness these days. Oh, I meant I meant about like how touring is the only way to make money in the music industry. Oh, yeah. true. Not, but according to Vox Lux, she says I don't make any money from touring. I only make money from doing like video games and like selling yourself, having an angle, posting shit on Instagram. Yeah. that's how I read it. Yeah. Like, well, bottom line is that you're but, not making any money. But musicians have only ever made money from touring. You have okay. to make merch, go on tour. Hopefully, people buy your tickets. Hopefully, people buy your merch. That's how you make money. That's how it's been forever. How do we think about Natalie Portman's performance in it, thinking about The Departed, which is what I thought about a lot. The Be- Departed? Yeah. Is she in it? No, but The Departed is just so Boston. It has such like a Boston <laughs> draw. She's not Boston in this film. She's Isn't she? Staten Island. Oh. Staten Island and Boston's the same thing. Uh, you know, Wollongong, Newcastle, what the heck? Uh, am I right, Lily, or am I right? I don't know. I've uh, never been to either. Neither have I. Oh, have I been to Staten Island? Anyway... A lot of people that I spoke to about her performance afterwards kept saying, she's having too much fun. And I kind of thought, is that are you saying that because you wanted her to be more serious? Because yeah, the film has a serious... Squares, tone? So Don't say that, JB. Well, Everyone's true. interpreting it in their own way. I but they're also squares. People have just seen Natalie Portman perform so many astounding roles. So, like, actors of that caliber, they can play anyone. So, obviously, she's having fun because she's flexing another muscle. So, 
I think you can look at Natalie Portman's like because she's a director herself and she's directed movies like you can look at her as actor as artist Mm. because she obviously chooses all of her roles and you can draw like such through lines Mm. and things that she maybe didn't feel like she got to the bottom of she explores in other films Mm -hmm. and you can see that there's obviously things from Black Swan that Mm. she wanted to do here Mm -hmm. like her her husband that she met on Black Swan did the choreography for this movie and they just got to do it at home like I just think there's so many like it's funny because I was wondering about her choreography and when she learned it because they did it apparently they did it in three weeks and then they shot that whole sequence in a day and a half oh my god do you guys find it creepy i was reading an interview with natalie portman where she was talking about black swan she was like i had no idea the film that they had made when they were making it like i was on the impression it was gonna be like it was gonna be quasi documentary it was gonna be real cinema verite type shit and then when i saw the final product i was like whoa i had no idea this was happening and that to me feels like weird manipulation on darren's behalf like also like how did they do all that cgi without her like being complicit Where was Evan Rachel Wood in this movie is my question. This Vox Lux would have been so good for her. Or Jenna Malone. But maybe that's a bit too obvious. Maybe that's too obvious. I think the women in the film were amazing. Like, I really love Stacey Martin. Yeah, we should. I really love Jennifer Eel. Yeah, it was perfectly cast. Mm. I thought it was so well cast. It's such a tight cast as well. (sighs) Really focused. Uh, Yeah, how did you feel about her becoming the daughter? Genius. Perfect. Was that brilliant? Perfect. I didn't realise it until after the film. Jill Soloway. Like, it's so genius. She's such a different character. Yeah. Rafferty is such a... People aren't talking about her, but she's so good. Mm. I don't understand. They were trying to get Natalie Portman to be nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Mm. And that fell through, like, last minute. Did anyone get nominated? Box Lux got nominated for nothing. It... Did it even? But it didn't even get released though. It hasn't been released. Has it had a release? It was released in America. When did it come out? Has this this movie been out for a while? Well, way before Australian release. Schmauser, also. I would think. I think anyway, I'm not, uh, yeah. it was the best. It's actually interesting talking about Brady Corbett because he was in so many like indie movies with like Greta, Gregor Arki, mm-hmm. and he kind of reminds me in a way of Roman Gavris, who, like his dad's like obviously like a mm. huge huge European auteur, and then did like a bunch of music videos, and then went into feature films, and his first film was like such an art house movie, really kind of impenetrable, didn't do very well, and then his second movie, which I really liked, which is The World Is Yours, is this like almost Ocean's Eleven z like comedy like mm. much more accessible movie. Not movie? that like Vox Vox Lux is like a comedy, but it is so accessible, I think. Yeah. I mm-hmm. think like anyone can watch it and either love it or hate it or like There's also a lot of funny parts it's where you're so like funny. wait a second, this is actually hilarious what she's doing when she's like laying on the bed and Jude Law's in the bedroom and she's just sort of like talking to him over her shoulder and lots of scenes like that. Just so funny. Are just so so funny. Yeah, it kind of has like a Wolf of Wall Street vibe. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's kind of her excess is so crazy. Yeah, and she's so narcissistic that it's just like so enjoyable to watch her Mm. because you don't really care if she fails. Like you feel for her, but like it's nice to have that distance or something. Yeah. Mm. Maybe I. I just kind of thought like if she failed, she'd just get up. There are two types of films. That exists that are like this, I think. Mm. There's Birdman, which is the tortured artist pushing everything in their power to get what they want yeah. and to like prove their artistry. Meanwhile, there are these minions who are up against them, like Tabitha Dickinson, the critic, who's uh-huh, just saying, yeah. You aren't an artist, let me shred you in my New York Times review. There's those kinds of films that are like self important, in my opinion. And then there's movies like Opening Night, where you witness the mm. like complete mental crumble of performers and then you watch their final show and what that looks like after you've witnessed them completely destroy themselves. And to me, Vox Lux 
uh, closer towards Birdman when I really wanted it to be more opening night because opening night has such a fulfilling ending of just this is what the expression looks like and yeah. this is what all the fra 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 leads up to. Whereas and same with Black Swan, like I feel like you watch Black Swan and even though and I guess both those films have happy endings and Vox Lux doesn't really have a happy ending and that's where I think it kind of I kills for I me. I yeah. does have a happy ending. That's why I liked it so Because I watched a performance... Birdman the, doesn't. I watched a performance at the end and I think... Black Swan doesn't. I watched a performance at the end of Vox Lux and I think, wow, you're, 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 such, you're such a mess and it can show. It's like watching Britney Spears' performance. Like, okay, everything that's said, that's said about you is true and everything you do is actually just awful and uh, it's, it's not working. But you also like I feel, like feel so sorry for Britney Spears because she was yeah. put into such a position by literally everyone. Mm. That's true and as well. Like just like Lily was saying, like she's part of a machine that can't literally can't stop. You're right. And, and to quote so, my sister, I have no empathy. So, but I think with I think with the <laughs> box box, a lot of that is to do with the time constraints. Like Cassavetes made opening night with his wife, and they rehearsed it for like a year and then shot it, and so they're able to get these like insane performances mm. that kind of just go on and on, mm. and they're also that movie goes for like two hours and 45 yeah. minutes or something like mm. i remember thinking it would be like a really fun movie to watch with you guys i know it's so long it's so long and we sat there and you guys were so good and polite and like sat there and watched the whole movie with me <laughs> i thought it was fine and it was good for us because we it then performed the it afterwards the time we watched something like together together that was like not just like a fun mm, outside of school movie. yeah i think what it comes down to for me and this is something that you bring up a lot jack in movies is that i just don't believe that that humour can't exist in the most dire situation. But it does. And I, that movie's no, no, so funny. I didn't find it funny. Yeah, I said I didn't find That's it funny. Okay. I didn't find Vox Lux funny. We should watch it together and I feel like being like, this is funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds I like did... you watched it with a bunch of squares in Rotterdam. I did! I watched it in a fucking critic Max screening. I, I didn't laughing. watch it in a public cinema. We I watched it I was literally dying. Like, I was in yeah. this cinema like, are you kidding me? Like, when Willem Dafoe says she did a deal with the devil, I was like, this movie just like... Is... I can't, I can't get over how funny yeah, this is. Yeah, I need, to, I need so to watch hot. it in the cinema. It's I need to watch such it. such a hot movie. Okay, okay, okay. I need to watch it. And, okay, should we save it for another episode? But I thought just as a little aside, okay, I love, I just want to thank you, Andre, for bringing up a bunch of things that I wanted to talk about in this episode that I didn't think about well enough was comparing to opening night is really genius compared to birdman is also really genius because i think it does a lot of things that birdman wishes it could do Mm. but really well in the way that birdman is so constructed Mm. and so fake Mm. in that this movie people are describing as a mess but But also not i mean i I feel like bird i feel like the artificiality of birdman is the same artificiality as vox lux birdman michael keaton ex-batman player acting out his final film of his life uh, Got all the accolades for that one performance in Birdman. Yeah, but meta, Box meta, Lux meta, meta, meta. Nominated for anything, and I don't think it was ever trying. Like, I think it's just a different type of film. I think it's a, I think it's a different type of film, same type of meta, though. Maybe same type of meta. Maybe same type of meta, but I think the meta is behind the camera rather than in front. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know that the meta is to do with Natalie Portman because she's only in the film for such a short amount of time. I think the meta actually yeah. rests on Sia. I'm sorry, like I should, didn't mean to cut you off there, but please keep going. But I think it's a good point because I think Vox Lux does a lot of things that I like in movies, but does it in a way that I've never been able to fully embrace mm. before. Like it does things that Lars von Trier does, mm. but I can watch Vox Lux and not feel gross. Vox Lux has l- excited about. a lot of stylistic similarities to the new Lars von Trier film, which I really hope you guys drag yourselves to go see because no one wants to go see it. But I, you guys, you guys are going to okay, stop being fucking reasons, squ- Yeah. So. But stop being squares. Like go see, you know what I mean? Like you can call me a square, but you got, you guys got to go see Lars von Trier. Okay. Um, and then we'll talk, okay? Um, Whoa, you have been in Europe too long, okay? <laughs> and I and thank you so much, Jack. Crunch, bro. And, okay. <laughs> no, it's true. Thank you, 
Jack for also revealing to me that I have only watched Vox Lux through the prism of comparisons to another canon and that I need to see it outside of Elephant, Birdman and Opening Night because it's a film that can exist on its own and it's very unique and individual yeah. and I can't like, just What else came out last year that was anything like Vox Lux? I never said that anything last no, year No, 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 I'm not saying you didn't, but I'm just saying, like, that film... I like forgot every other film I saw after I saw it, yeah. apart from like you never really hear it, my friend Dharma. And those three films have a lot in common. It's like my friend Dharma meets you were never really here. And it's you true, have actually. It's very, very true. It's a very Lynn Ramsey type film. Let's yeah. play a clip from you were never really here, but one of just music. <laughs> <laughs> and you just watched. We need to talk about Kevin. Do you want to talk I about? Did. Oh, you just watched it. I did. Hello. Yeah. Refresh was... our memories because we haven't seen it in years. Okay, so. Tilda Swinton is in a power play with her baby boy who is driving her mad from the inside. No one else believes her that he is torturing her as a little child because the, he treats the dad in a totally different way. And it was really interesting. Um, you know, he starts doing little evil things like like painting all over her freshly um, – uh, what do you call it? Linen. No, her wall when yeah. she puts all the maps on her wall as the uh, oh yeah. What do you call it? wallpaper? Wallpaper. Um, and she's like, "This is really special to me. Do you want something special?" And he's like, "What is special? Something that explains your personality. Hmm. What personality?" Um, she walks in on him jerking off in the bathroom, yeah, and, he and he's like smiling at, at her. her yeah. And she's just kind of and. Her reaction I, you to know that what is my, so... what my uh, initial reaction was. I'm just explaining it. But um, I really liked how little violence they showed because it was obviously about a really violent character and they hardly showed any of it. Like his little sister's hamster went missing and then they couldn't find the hamster and then she like put her hand on the garbage disposal and her hand was a bit bloody. Um, and that was like the most they showed. Mm. And then like with the school... Wasn't a school shooting. It was like a school bow and arrow. Yeah. He like shot everyone with a bow and arrow. I forgot and about that. And they didn't that really bad. show that. Mm. They just showed John C. Riley with an arrow in his back. In the Wait, backyard. John C. Riley's the husband? Yeah. Jesus, I know. Croy. But it's really good because Tilda Swinton's character is like, uh, actually, like, I find her not a likable character, and I find her an unsympathetic character, mm. and I can't relate to her because if we're talking about, like, moms or whatever, Natalie Portman clearly loves her daughter, and no matter what, I will love her for that. So she can be as fucked up as she wants to be. At the end of the day, she loves her family, even if she treats her sister like shit. But Tilda Swinton doesn't like her husband. Well, you can tell she loves her family because she treats her sister like yeah. shit and she feels so hurt because yeah. she has so much love. Yeah. And Tilda Swinton has a freaky relationship with her husband, hates her son. Why does she have another baby? It's super creepy the whole time. She's not actually a good mom. Do you like, think that it kind of inspired the first bad man? The first bad man. By Miranda uh, July. Miranda July. Like, there's something similar in the tone of voice of, like, someone who, yeah. like, is completely disconnected. Yeah, yeah, from, yeah. I know what you mean. Like, some weird, yeah. Like, society, like society yeah, she's in this way. Super she's super dead She lets inside. herself get treated in a certain yeah, way. Yeah, I know. It's characters like that freak me out. Um, so that's what made the movie so chilling. Mm. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, I know it's probably a fucked up thing to say, but I'm like, you're a bad mom. That's probably why your son hates you and you drove him nuts. Like, that's how I kind of read it. And that's mm. why it's a fucking cool 
text yeah. because so many films about like bad mums are mums that like left like yeah like the hours yeah. and everyone like judges Julianne mm. Moore but mm. I see that as quite similar to in Vox Lux where it's like Julianne Moore left but she had to because she was going to kill herself mm. and like she still loved her son mm-hmm. and even though there's all this judgment it's mm-hmm. actually like such a classic trope mm-hmm. but you're so right and like we need to talk about Kevin like sometimes being a bad mum is staying and mm. being like mm. just like filled with like apathy hate. and hate yeah. towards your child like that <sighs> would be so much worse to me so much worse anyway full on also Lynn Ramsey also does and you were never really here like it's so interesting because we need to talk about Kevin feels like such a violent film when you think about it but it's mm. about everything surrounding that and mm. like just the trauma and same with you yeah and you, re- you were never really here like it cuts away from the violence yeah. and you very rarely see him murdering people mm. but it feels it is such a violent film like looking violent. back it feels like the most violent film I've same, seen same same yeah. Do you have anything to say? I really don't. I think I remember seeing you, we were never really here about Kevin and <laughs> kind of just <laughs> falling for the critical bait and then moving on from it quite quickly because... What was I, the critical bait? That it was good? That it was good, yeah. Oh, okay. And that it was special and that Tilda Swinton was splendid and that Ezra Miller is this new thing on the block. Uh, and yeah, what the, happened to him? He's still going. He's Ezra Miller. Ezra Miller. He was just in the most underrated film, like art house film of last what year. What was it? Crimes of Grindelwald. Oh, uh, uh, no. He's uh, in Fantastic Beasts. And, and that's what also them. made the movie so good was because he was so attractive. He wasn't that scary. Yeah. Because he was hot. I was like, I'm not afraid of you. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, you don't remember when he was wearing all those outfits on the red carpet and everyone went like mm-hmm. really wild for it and then everyone went really Wait, cold on it. He was trans trending. Uh, what on? How long ago? Oh, by the way. Just so you can uh, where We're. We're, we're nearly at like um, uh, like forty five minutes. Okay, well, minutes. should we move into? We can um, wrap it up, but let's no let's do, wrap this, it up. do the segments. Or do oh, the, let's do yeah, the segments because uh, I'm really excited to do the segments because we haven't done them before. That's fine. We don't need to talk about fantastic beasts. <laughs> we don't need to talk about Kevin. Oh, oh man. Um, okay, so as with season two of Cinema Girls, um, we have picked a couple of different <gasps> playful segments to throw into <gasps> the apps. Uh, so every week you can expect I- us doing three different things. We are going to go around the circle and we've each picked a segment that's dedicated to each cinema girl. The one that's dedicated to me is called, yeah, Ezra Miller's cute. Lily's showing me a picture of Ezra Miller from Crimes of Grindelwald and he's, he's, wearing he's gorgeous. Like is that your unfair Andre? <laughs> the one that I do, the one that's based on me is called Unfair Andre and it's where the cinema girls bring up a comment, a line, Ooh. an opinion that I have that's unfair there Andre. Was there was a few this week. There's always a few. There's a lot every week. So my, let's start with Unfair Andre and then we'll go to the next one which will be Jack's one and then we'll do Lily's one afterwards. So okay. Unfair Andre, time for round one. Lily, you want to go first? I can sense. Yeah, you go You're, first. You got something to be your time. I think it was just unfair the way that you were talking about Natalie Portman. Oh, what the character? <laughs> I mean, fair enough, but at the same time, I'm just like, you never get to really see female characters like that without people just automatically disliking them. And you know what the worst? And part I is? just want people to like them for once. And it sucks because, well, honey, that's why we're friends because I live for those characters. I know. So, so uh, unfair and friendship. Like, also, <laughs> sh- like the beginning of that film was so good at explaining like everything. That has gone wrong in her life, and I just like from that from that point on. Yeah, she's got she's got the get out of free jail card. Okay, she was maybe cool. that I can accept that's unfair. No, I can ex- and I I think I've already explained why I think what I've said was unfair. So I yeah. think it's I think it's thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> no, it's true. I'm glad that you've put that mirror up to my face. I I needed to see that, Jack. I also really quickly are we allowed to unpack or is this like a really quick segment? No, we can. Yeah, I want to unpack a little bit about. 
so many people I've talked about Box Locks with before it came out, because mm. I saw it, like, a few weeks ago, have been like, is Natalie Pullman good in it? I don't know where this, like... Hey. Yeah, where this... Or just this, like, derision towards her mm. has come from, and I feel it, like... I have now transitioned from being like such an advocate for Nicole Kidman into mm. being such an advocate for Natalie Portman. Mm-hmm. I know that it seemed like she was a Zionist for a little bit, but that's just because she was literally born in Jerusalem and uh-huh. she has stepped away from like she she doesn't go <laughs> to Israel anymore. Her name is Hushlog. <laughs> no, but that's like that's like a real thing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, she, I've done my research and I she has stepped away from supporting I Israeli think government. Natalie Portman is a bit one note. In all her films. You think she's a bit one note, but I think that people think, think about, about Nicole Kidman too. And mm. I don't but think Nicole, it's true. But Nicole Kidman does vastly different roles I think people and a expect, variety of roles. I think people's barrier to what makes a good actor is fucked and skewed. And people want Kate Blanchett and Meryl Streep mm. from everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think Natalie Portman is an excellent actress. Mm-hmm. She, she's Natalie Portman. And, she's Natalie Portman. No, sorry. No, she's but that's, <laughs> she's Kate Blanchett. She's, no, she's classical. She's, she's not at all. Natalie Portman is very classical. No, and she, a, you don't see her making bold choices, I don't no, think. No, that's bullshit. I think that's completely wrong. She plays like... She picks, a, she picks like an accent... And mm-hmm. she goes ham with an accent, mm-hmm. but she's not like thinking about every single line and how she's going to deliver it. And I think that that's what Kate does. I think that's what Meryl does. I don't think that that's what Nicole does. Nicole will do like wild zany Literally choices. Nellie Pullman either plays ingenues or complicated moms. But that's because that's to do with her. And she's making personal choices because she's an artist. It's not about like, for me, it's like your idea of range for me. It's like, I see Natalie Portman as being closer to like, Kristen Stewart if Kristen Stewart put a little bit more effort in in a few future films Mm -hmm. Mm. like I think she has like a through line in her characters and that's what I'm talking about that I like like I like that she comes to similar themes and she returns and she like she has like a really nuanced career she's Mm -hmm. not just jumping and doing a bunch of challenging characters like she has and that's what I think like we need to I haven't got an opinion on Ellie Portman I think we need to to cherish those characters those types of actors a little bit more that Mm. are aware of like privilege is the wrong word but like their own background and their own life experience and like I think this is really interesting in a way that is meta in the way that you didn't like in Birdman in that she was a child actress but obviously it's different in the same way that Gaga was interesting in A Star Is Born like I thought that was a really interesting acting choice and I think she's a really interesting actress I watched her at the Super Bowl and I thought man she could play singer singer. Anyway. I saw what Bradley Cooper says. It's an SNL sketch. Oh. Bradley Cooper comes on the family feud. And oh. I was like, Bradley needs to be on my team. And then Bradley's one line is, he goes, I watched her at the Super Bowl and I thought to myself, man, she could really play a singer. Oh. <laughs> so that's your unfair Andre, Jack. Okay, whatever we get it. No, I have Lily's Nicole- unfair Andre. My unfair Andre. My turn. <laughs> my turn. Okay. Okay. My unfair Andre this week. And you can't really argue against it. But mm. I, this is not me being bitchy and not me being like... A, this whole segment's bitchy, so... <laughs> okay, this whole segment's bitchy, but this is a nice one and it is about me employing you to give something a second chance. And it is, I think you sh- should remove the shackles and like have a deep bath and go actually reverse that. I'm not using the word shackles in the way I'm describing this <laughs> film. I just think you should go see if Phil Streaker talk. <laughs> And, uh, because I saw it once and I fell asleep in it because of jet lag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I'm. That's yeah. fine. I'm just saying, like, yeah. you should be desperate to see it. Okay. Like, you shouldn't be should like be desperate. You shouldn't be like, I fell asleep, therefore I didn't see it, therefore I don't have to see it, and I don't really want to because it I didn't was like really moonlight. surprising. It was really? like not was, like okay. how people are like, it's so sad, it's so no. sad. I'm like, no, there are so many amazing scenes that are gripping. 
Mm-hmm. No, Gripping. It's, it recontextualizes romance in yeah. like such a beautiful way. I haven't seen a film like this in forever. Like but, probably Moulin Rouge is the last film I've saw like this. But oh yeah, yeah. Mm. But also way. just does things like like when she's at the perfume counter. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a great scene. Mm-hmm. I saw a lot of little scenes that kind of tell stories and okay. So she really works nice. at a perfume counter and different men come in and she talks about the difference between each type of man. Oh my god, is this just Mad Men? You guys, I don't want to watch Mad Men. It's Stop not Mad Men. It's Man. not Mad Men, but okay, maybe fine. you won't like it. Maybe look, honestly, maybe, maybe honestly like that scene you might not like, but don't you like the hours? No, Andre doesn't like the hours. He finds it boring. See, this is the thing. This is the kind of cinema that we jam on and love. I mean, actually, like, you probably would hate that scene because it's super marvelous Mrs. Maisel in, like, 20 years. Yikes. Okay. It's not funny, but it's, like, she works in a perfume counter in a really nice department store. Yeah. I can see where that could... I could see that happening. You know when you go to a film and you feel, like, actually swept up in it and you feel really moved and you really, like both aesthetically and the performances and it's mm. like you really feel jolted and in every moment that's how i felt in this film like every single moment of it i just felt like really wrapped up okay let's move on to the oscars episode okay, sorry cool. not to interrupt because i could say in the future oscars episode i will say that if bill street could talk should have been nominated vox lux should have been why nominated the fuck like, was oh i know why bill street wasn't okay we can do this in the next episode. because yeah. these are films that were missed out on so mm. Good segue. And this is going to come out in a different order, so you've probably already heard the end of it. Listen to our last episode. (laughs) What's your segment that we've picked for Cinema Girls? uh, The one that we do for you. Okay, so the segment and uh, this... Okay, so this is cute. This is the way we're going to do it is I have to ask you guys. Yeah. So over the last entire time I've known you, I send you a lot of links. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Partly that is because I never read anything that... Remember anything that I read and I use you guys as repositories so that hopefully you'll get some benefit out of the shit that I read. Oh, that's nice, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I send you stuff that I think is really cool and special and... uh, Jack Slinks! Jack Slinks. Okay. Jack Slinks. Do you want me to go first? Yeah. So, it's a tie today. Okay. But only because I really want to be something that was sent to me a few days ago, but I actually can't find the link because <laughs> I... You can't remember which one I sent it on? Lynn and I were just discussing about how you were spread across a lot of social media platforms, oh. so we don't know where to find things sometimes. We don't know what link where It the depends link whether is. I'm like walking. If I'm at work, it's Facebook. If I'm walking, it's... Yeah, so, it's a shame it's because the one link that I really want to share is really special. It's of a woman. I think her name's Giselle Robot, and she's doing... What I could... I can only describe as like a paracinematic performance piece of Britney Spears' Lucky dressed as an alien. Do you remember this? Yes. What's it called? I think I sent it to you on it doesn't matter where you send it to me it's, that information is not fun she's she's she did a thing for next wave but i found her old youtube and went and found her she's an artist i think from melbourne yeah she's cool she's really really cool she she's does really, she really basically cool. dresses up in like an alien and does this like paper mache alien and does like a kind of creepy almost salad fingers <laughs> level of like freaky what? performance like, to she's so lucky Here's a clip. Oh, she's scary. a uh, clip yeah it's scary but it's like a it's a it's a man covering britney and then she's the alien but i watched it when i had my mic Brain. So, if you remember how Jack said I was delirious, I watched it around that time and I was just like, Ugh. anyway. Early morning. She lucky, this Holly Wood girl. 
Jesus died. She cried, cried, cries in her lonely heart, thinking if there's nothing missing in my life, then why do these tears come at night? But my real, my real Jack Slings that I want to bring up today is Camilla Lapalia's commentary on A Star Is Born, which is totally bogus. From Aaron Manhattan. From Aaron Manhattan, which is completely inarticulate, and I would always go as far as to say underbaked. I feel like she it's dug undermined into the her film. whole career. It's undermined her whole career and it's also just kind of shown that as a septuagenarian second wave feminist uh, she really needs, she's probably got a migraine as well. because She's like an alternative second wave feminist. Like I don't think yeah. you can call her even a second wave feminist. Okay, her points are all salient, I think. She yeah. just relies on but slurs and just throws... She doesn't a... say anything. Okay, the one cool thing she says though is she recontextualizes Barbara Streisand much maligned like a sequel to or like, I want to call it a cover, cover of A Star Is Born and talks about how Barbara took total creative control and produced it, and it was her creative vision, mm. and that that was a feminist, that was a f- the feminist retelling mm. of this story. That's cool. And mm. this wasn't, because it was all Bradley, and yeah. he shifted the narrative to be about him yeah. and made yeah. his character the main character. Yeah. My mom didn't like it, which I thought was cool. A Star is Born. Yeah. Oh. And she loved uh Bill Street. No. Box Lux. No. <laughs> no, no, what was it called? First Men. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, 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 Jungle Book. Why did I do this? I stole too much from my book money. <laughs> oh, uh, I, can you ever forgive me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have you seen no. Oh. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Um, Lily's uh, um, Jack Slings. Jack Slings. Uh, Jack sent me a great link that I thought was interesting. I didn't totally agree with it. Um, They're trying <laughs> to make a point. Whatever. Re- Reevaluating the gross misunderstanding of Sofia Coppola's cinematic oeuvre oh, from Days. That's true, actually. And it's about um, how... Like Sofia Coppola's always being misunderstood for being like too, stripped too image back, based. too image based, too apathetic. Um, but it's because it's like a commentary on the male gaze and how women are portrayed through. <sighs> I don't know if it's a commentary on the male gaze or like. I think it's more. It's a, a response. It's about she just didn't see anything aesthetically that was about growing up as like. Specifically, she's unpacking whiteness and, like, being a young girl. It talks a lot about virgin suicides, but then yeah. it talks about marriage. But when well. I read these articles, and I always think to myself, and- how progressive is it to adopt restrictive or patriarchal ways of seeing as someone who isn't part of the patriarchy and then just using those aesthetics against, against the patriarchy? Yeah. Like, is that a, a move but forward? But she's not or? doing that. I think that's the thing. That's you why she's being dismissed. No, she's been dismissed because her films are radically different to the films. Like, obviously, she references the 70s it because that's set, what she builds from. Can, but I, can I quote something for yeah, you? Yeah, quote it. Please. What she references is always the recuperation of some kind of patriarchal language of the image, and she turns it around, um, which I guess is like using something that could see like seem like it's like an image of like sex, but it's not that. It's mm-hmm. just an image of femininity. Mm. And I guess like the dull world that they're forced to be in. That's yeah. kind of what, how I read the article. Yeah. Mm. But um. Bergman, like the I really like the um, author, and I've been listening to podcasts with her on it, and she's really interesting. And name? she's like, what's her full name? Basically, it's not that she's like an apologist for Sofia Coppola. She's just saying that she hasn't been given the thorough criticism that she deserves. That makes right. sense. She's yeah. easily maligned, and people yeah. haven't written about her in a serious way. And that there's ways to talk about her that she's trying to find. Mm. Because she did obviously relate to her films 
and she's one of the few female auteurs. And also how like she talks about how auteurship is taken away the mm. moment that women have agency. So mm. the moment that women started, she's like, and maybe this is a stretch, but she's like, the moment women started directing, everyone decided that auteurship was dead. Mm. And she's like, well, that's not really fair mm. because Sophia sense. Coppola is so clearly an auteur. Yeah, and that's why people are so reluctant to call women auteurs. And our last segment of the episode, which we're so excited to reveal, is <laughs> Lily's one. Yep. So, okay, so basically... Jack and Andre are always trying to get my attention and, you know, I don't know. What am I, what am I supposed to do with all of it? Um, <laughs> so I guess they're going to talk about times where they were begging me for attention and I was like, thanks, next. Mm. Right? I think so, yeah. Or, or do we talk we about bring, times we begged for your attention and got nothing? I, oh. Yeah, I think we bring up things oh. to beg. I, I thought it was like we bring up things to beg for Lily's attention. Oh, right oh, now that oh. We want her. So do you want to go first, Jack, or do you want me to go first? No, you go first because I'm... So here's me begging for you. So I think actually this isn't really me begging for attention. This might actually repulse you a little bit. But Uh, um, uh, so I'm just going to tell you my thing and then you got to tell me if it's if I have your attention or not. Okay. On the flight over to Europe and on the flight back. Oh, my God. Um, I know what you're going to say. You watch the same movie? Not only did I watch the same movie. What was it? I watched the same movie. Three times. The holiday? It was the holiday. Yeah, I saw it on your Instagram. I was like, I got my attention, actually. <laughs> I got your attention. You got my attention. Ding, 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 ding. I watched ding. it for the first time over Christmas. So. Oh, you watched it? Okay. Oh, oh, oh. And, oh. Do, do I add it as having watched it three times in the space of like uh, two weeks, three weeks? That film is genius. I never realized how much I actually really like Nancy Myers' directing style. Oh. I think she's a beautiful director. I think she's a cute. terrific director. Cute, and, I'm, cute. and I think, yeah, I mean, she makes, you know, sloppy, lame Sheridan, Martha Stewart, uh, rom-coms with, like, Meryl Streep and Kate Winslet. But I think she's a beautiful director. I think she frames people really beautifully. She definitely combines a element of, like, American parody with, you know, like, near-realistic cinema. And I think it's really stunning. That's just Love me. it. Love that. Okay, Jack, your turn. Love it. Okay, I know how to get your attention. Okay. Do you want to do the next episode? Yeah. Oh, okay. 